0: We pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Dear friends of Christ, I'm sure you're all aware of the uniqueness of your fingerprints. They're not just wrinkles on the tips of your fingers. They're identifying marks. They mark you as a unique individual. I read someplace that the the hardest parts of the human body to disguise or to alter are the the ears and the hands. Hands reflect our work and our life. They tell of joys and sorrows that we've experienced. I'd invite you to take a moment and take a look at your hands. Look at the back of your hands. What do you see? Look at your palms. I can trace the scar on my right ring finger from uh, an icebox when I was an apprentice boat builder. I sliced it really badly. and You know, I have kind of longish fingers. I can span a tenth on a piano. That's, that's handy. Um, and they're soft, or at least mine are soft. They were once a lot more callous when I was a boat builder. But what do you see? What do you remember in your hands? Hands tell a story when we come to the rail for communion. I, I don't mean to make you self-conscious, but every first and third Sundays, I place Christ's true body and true blood into 30 or 40 or 50 pairs of hands. And the view goes both ways, though. I'm sure you realize that. I was lectured at seminary to make sure your fingernails were clean and your shoes polished on <laughs> Communion Sunday, because that's what your congregants are going to be looking at. You know, I, I see hands with thick fingers and deep calluses, others that are drawn thin with the skin stretched tight. I see youthful hands and liver spots and bandaged fingers. Hands tell a story. Which brings us to our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 65. and the hands of God. Verse 2. I, Yahweh, hold my hands outstretched all day. The prophet invites us to see and to hear God with outstretched arms. That's really a remarkable picture. We need to step across cultures and millennia to truly grasp what he's saying. Lamentation chapter 3. Jeremiah writes, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. This is, it has a technical Latin name. It's called the Orans position, but it's, it's the posture of prayer. With hands outstretched, it's both an appeal to God for mercy and compassion, and it's also an open posture to receive whatever God would give us. And it's not just an Old Testament ritual. In New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without arguing or confirming. It is, in fact, a powerful symbolism that I don't know if you notice, but I, whenever I pray the collect of the day, I pray it like this. Well, I have to hold my boulder in one hand. Right? And also for the post-communion collect. But in Isaiah chapter 65, it's an astounding reversal. They're God's hands, not man's. Yahweh Himself stands with hands outstretched to a stubborn and rebellious people. And not just for a moment. All the day He stands there for a people. Another reversal. Once it was different, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort, My people, says our God. Or Isaiah 63. For He, and again it's Yahweh, said, Surely they are My people, children who will not deal falsely but it was past tense. Isaiah 65, Yahweh holds out his hands to a stubborn people, those who are walking in a way that is not good, after their own thoughts. Yet God stands there holding out his hands. Those are no ordinary hands. God's hands are all over the place in the biblical record. In the Old Testament, they're frequently hands of a dread warrior who fights for his people. Even before he sent Moses, there at the burning bush we heard, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. You recall his mighty hand, right? Blood and boil, frogs and gnats, hail and darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn. And that was just the start. In Deuteronomy 5, we hear Moses summing up this way, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. God's hand continued to defend and protect them in Cana. First Samuel 5, The hand of Yahweh was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors. His hand protected and empowered his prophets. First Kings 18, And the hand of the Lord was on Elisha, and he gathered up his garments, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God's hands tell a story. These people are my people. There's also a bigger and even more universal, a preceding story. The hands of God created this. Everything. Every hand, every foot, every orangutan and ostrich, every plant and planet, every morning and every evening. Every, everything. Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and commanded all their hosts. We confessed it in the creed, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We sing about it in the Psalms. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. A psalm that Paul echoes in his first chapter to the Romans. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that He has made. From the seemingly infinite to the tangibly infant, a new mother counting the fingers of her newborn, each precious little fingernail, a gift of God, And fingerprints. Perhaps the hospital's already taken them, but God knew them before they even breathed their first breath. And the new father, amazed at this tiny little grasp of a hand, it can barely encompass his little finger. Hands tell a story. One that might be. Both the fathers and the infants. It's mothers as well. All three from the hand of God and in the hand of God. God's hands tell a story. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. The center of our reading is a a compendium of graphic, repulsive, even hair-raising sins. Those walking in the ways that are not good. A people who provoke me, God declares. Sacrificing in gardens, burning incense on bricks, eating pigs' flesh, and uncleanness fills their vessels. They sit in tombs, and in hidden places they lodge, making obnoxious boasts, I'm too holy for you. The very fact it's said negates the holiness it claims. It is a nauseatingly hypocritical to boot. And God's response? These are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Isaiah 50 summarizes it. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue muttered wickedness, their works are works of iniquity, and the deeds of violence are in their hands. Can we claim otherwise? Well, the sacrifices and incense, the tomb vigils and hidden places, those are not part of our lives. But the stubbornness and rebellion remains with us. A hypocritical arrogance of verse 5. I've heard it, I've seen it. I'm too holy for you. Right. God's hands extending to a nation that was not called by my name, countered by our contracting, limiting ways, our inward-looking, walls-defending, mission-stifling fears. The blood of the innocents cries out for our advocacy, but we are all too often silent. The lies we tell or overlook are all in our hands. Hands tell the story. But God has a question. Isaiah 44. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That engraving is more than a tattoo. It's more than a reminder. God incarnate did stretch out his hands all the day long and the Roman execution squad engraved. They carved our names into his hands, not with needle and ink, but with iron spikes, so that his blood ran and ran and then dripped and dripped till it seems there was no more. Those hands were taken down and laid in a tomb And they rested three days. The psalmist captures the scene. Psalm 22. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. The hands of God tell a story. Again, Isaiah. This time, chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You are redeemed. When Christ appeared that first Easter Sunday, he showed up to the ten in the upper room. What did he do? He showed them his hands. The nail marks, the engravings were still there. They still are. Your name. My name. Serena and Nakana, Dale and Jeff. And just today, two more names, Avery and Piper, were carved into his hands. The hands of God tell a story. But they also hold a promise. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. The hands that created and now care for you. There's a wonderfully symbolic shape to our reading. We touched on the gospel outreach that opens the text. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation not called by my name. And it closes with the promise of a remnant, offspring for Jacob, my chosen, my servants, as the new wine is found in the cluster. And they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them. And the wickedness in the middle, those tomb-dwelling, incense-burning, God surrounds it. He engulfs us, even at our very worst. Gospel smothers law. We are the new vine in the cluster. He will not destroy us, for our names are carved into his hands. We have an inheritance on his holy mountain. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, Isaiah 54. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God's hands formed us and have reclaimed us and reformed us to serve in the house, in his house. This was Ezra's experience during the rebuilding of the temple when he petitioned for sons of Levi. We read, to send us ministers for the house of our God and by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man to serve, and to teach, as Job takes up his, in his discourse. I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. God gives us an inheritance in and by the hands of Jesus. It is foolish, therefore, not to entrust ourselves in our times to God's loving hands. Psalm 31. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Or from the New Testament, James chapter 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts with clean hands, washed in the blood of Jesus, and a pure heart declared righteous for his sake. Let us draw near to a God who promises, I hold my hands outstretched all day for you. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. (coughs) Amen.